And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on everybody's third favorite podcast, Permanent Good. Uh, yeah, welcome. Uh, this month we are doing a, a deep dive into the filmography of Adam Driver. It's Adam Driver Month. It's Adam Driver Month. Uh, this month we are going to be taking a look at Marriage Story, Annette, House of Gucci, and The Last Duel. Um, as always, because these movies are um, a lot newer, especially with House of Gucci and The Last Duel being theatrical releases, uh, for those movies in particular, we aren't diving too deep into spoilers. We do talk about the plot a little bit, but for the most part, you can still listen to them and not, I would say, you won't get spoiled on what happens. But we are also kind of bad at not doing spoilers, so listen at your own risk. Marriage Story and Annette, those are both streaming movies. All bets are off. Yes. <laughs> All bets are off on those. <laughs> but that being said, Marriage Story is our first movie on the docket. Let's dive into it, shall we? Craig, what did you think of this one? It was good. It was good. Um, it, it, I think, so this movie got nominated for a lot of Oscars, but only won one of them. And I think that that is fair. I think that this movie deserves a lot of Oscar nominations, but if it didn't win, but it, I also understand why it didn't win. This movie, when it came out, there was like a huge split across the internet of people who either really loved it, or then there were the people who were just making memes out of the apartment scene. Yeah. And so like, I was always like, okay, this is one that I want to watch, but it was one of those where I was like, okay, but I need a reason to watch it. So finally having this as my reason to watch it, I finally did. And you know, I wasn't disappointed. I actually genuinely enjoyed this film movie. Yeah, I, I did too. I did too. Um, I think a, a lot of, I've seen a lot of people say that Adam Driver in the apartment scene is like one of the best like displays of acting of our generation. And that's a heavy title. A lot of people will throw that around willy nilly. And I don't know if I would go that far. It's a good scene. Gang, it's a good scene. But like, like I said, that's a heavy title. And I don't know if that scene deserves to wear it. <laughs> I feel like it's the best display of true like I am at wit's end with this like this is how you're making me feel and it's just all bubbling over yeah I, I i think it's a i think it's a very good display of i'm saying what i'm feeling not necessarily what i mean mm -hmm. like uh there's uh adam driver has this like horrendous line that's like you know i uh i wake up and i wish that you were dead i wish that you got hit by a bus or something like that like yeah. he 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 goes into like gr like grotesque detail of how he wishes Scarlett Johansson had died somehow and i'm like whoa buddy whoa whoa <laughs> and and after he says it, he's like, well, there's no taking that back. And um, and, and you can kind of tell that. And I think the movie even goes on like in the next few scenes to be like, hey, we both said a lot of things yesterday. And like, I don't think we really meant it all. And I'm like, yeah, I hope you didn't. It's hey, Charlie, I hope you didn't. It's definitely one of those. We said a lot of things in the heat of the moment type of situations of desperation of just getting all of this off our chest. 
All right, I do want to go back to the beginning for a second because I, I, the, the, the moment I knew I was going to like this movie is that the movie does a very good job at getting us to like both of our characters right away. Yes, because um. W- they do, you know, intros for each other. Uh, the Scarlett Johansson does this, like, you know, three to five minute monologue about all the good things about Adam Driver's character. And then Adam Driver does a three to five minute monologue on all the things that he loves about Scarlett Johansson's character. And I'm like, you know, this is incredibly on the nose. But it's a very good way to show us the good parts of both of these characters. And, like, it made me like them a lot. I definitely agree. Like, set it up to where, like, we loved both of them. But then, like, as it went on, we could see the downsides of each of them. And it, like, it made the characters feel human and real. Yeah. So if you've uh, made it this far and not know what it's about, uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson is an actress and uh well in the movie she is as well um <laughs> uh, plays nicole yeah uh and adam driver's character is named charlie and he's a theater director they've been married for 10 years and they end up uh filing for divorce and it's the story of them it's mostly a custody battle the, yes. that's where the that's where the drama happens is in the custody battle but it's also about like them thinking they can still save their marriage and uh you know thinking they could do it amicably and then they eventually just realize that can't happen then lawyers get involved and they you know they double down on you know it, it's kind of what you would expect from a uh high profile divorce you know case basically um and i think that i i really liked this movie's transition from amicable divorce to we gotta get lawyers involved it felt very ordinary like you described it as like a high profile in which like i guess because they did have like these expensive lawyers but it felt like 90 percent of the divorce cases that you hear about where children are involved and the parents want to like like it gets heated and you know people will dig deep to try and get the kid and oftentimes the kid's input is just ignored for what the parents want and that's like a big theme throughout this is that henry the child is straight up being like this is what i want this is what i want please can we do this and charlie adam driver's character is just like no new york new york new york new york and it kind of goes along with the entire theme that he only thinks of himself yeah and uh and there's also like um charlie also ignores henry in the pursuit of trying to seem like a good dad which like when you say it like that, it's counterintuitive, but, you know, Charlie doesn't see it like that. There's a scene where um, uh, Charlie wanted to take Henry trick-or-treating, but Henry had already been trick-or-treating with Nicole, with his mom. And uh, so Henry is like, hey, I'm pooped. Can we just chill and eat candy? And Charlie's like, no, get dressed, get in the costume. We're going to go trick-or-treating. And the entire time, Henry's in the car and he's like, I'm tired. Can we go home? 
home. I don't want to do this. And Charlie's like, no, we had this costume made for you. You know, a friend of mine made this for you. You're going to put it on and you're going to wear it. And I'm like, Charlie, buddy, this is not helping the way you think it is. No, it's like still just thinking of what he wants and like being like, I deserve my time. I deserve to be able to do these things. And it's like, okay, but it's not working out that way. And you just need to listen to your child. And like, that was like, once the movie ended, I was like, that just felt ordinary. Like I felt like, yeah, you know, you watched like, cause like, you know, us growing up, we're still young. And so we haven't really, other than like our friends' parents, maybe, we haven't really like seen divorce happen in front of us or we haven't been through divorces, you know. But from what you hear, it was pretty accurate to like what a typical person's divorce would be when a child is involved. Unless like they're like best friends and can end actually amicably. But once lawyers are involved, this is what happens. Yeah. I, Adam Driver is the antagonist in this. This movie that's I don't usual. <laughs> that's, like, that's typical like the uh the back half of the movie is centered around charlie is centered around adam driver um but like he's not i never rooted for him no. I, and i part of me feels kind of bad about that because the movie goes out of its way to say you know nine times out of ten the courts will side with the mother and i'm like you know you're right that is kind of like an unfair stereotype that you know caring fathers do have to deal with in the divorce system however I don't think Charlie was a good enough father to really uh, deserve that. I definitely think that, like, things would have just been so much easier had he taken the time to actually listen to what the other people wanted instead of just being like, nope, it's my way or the highway. Like, none of this would have happened if he would have just been like, all right, yeah, L.A., Cause, that's fine. Cause, because there's lots of underlying things that go into this, right? Uh, Nicole and Henry go out to L.A. while the divorce is being finalized, and Henry and uh, Charlie is like, cool, they'll stay out there for a little bit, but then they'll come back after, or like, Henry will come back after it's all been settled. It's all good, we don't have to worry about it. But then Henry's like, I like my school here, I like my friends here and you know i like being with mom and charlie's like family "Mm." yeah and and charlie's just like ignores him like no you don't you have to come back to new york and um there was also an instance where nicole got an offer for a gig in la where they would be there for just a year And, and i know just a year isn't that's boils it down to a lot more it's very reductive but for all intents and purposes it was just a year and charlie's like no that's a you thing we need to stay in new york and do me thing and so that nicole going back to la was maybe was it out of spite kind of but was it also the best thing that did it end up being the best thing for henry anyway yeah well yeah because like sorry i don't mean to interrupt but like she was all of her family is in LA and he had also gotten offered a job in LA that could have taken them back and he declined it and decided to stay in New York and it was like but then you know he is known well-known director and he could get a directing gig anywhere it's it wouldn't be difficult it's just that he's stuck in his love for New York and doesn't want to change up his routine while his ex-wife and his son are building their new life over in LA where they have family and they like it a lot more than the hustle and bustle of New York. 
Yeah, um, this movie also brings up, I feel like this movie brings up finances when it's convenient for them. Uh, there, there are some times where I'm like, all right, you've brought up several times how you're going broke because of this divorce, yet you're still flying back and forth and also getting a super expensive lawyer. Uh, okay, bud. Um, like, uh... You know, he gets, uh, he initially interviews a really expensive lawyer and he's like, the retainer is too much. I don't make that much money. Um, so he ends up going with kind of like a family lawyer, you know, much more small time. And, but eventually he drops that lawyer and goes with the expensive one anyway. And he still loses. And I'm like, buddy, like this, uh, it, it, they bring up in an honest way about the finances but then they also don't sometimes so it was cool but also like they established it as a cool thing but then they didn't follow it up as much as i think they should have and i I think that that was kind of like a it it was it made a weird dynamic i think well that's kind of how it is in real life though like when it comes to splitting up like money is used against other parties so heavily and so often like it felt realistic because it's like okay yeah we're both growing going broke because you know you won't just agree to this one thing like everything could be fine if you just agreed to this one little thing but you don't want to and so now we're going broke over this you know like we still have other finance and we're spending all of this money on these lawyers who you know hate each other and (laughs) are like trying to get us to hate each other even more because they're playing dirty yeah and I the I, I don't know how much these uh these lawyers also kind of like fueled the fire a little bit because both Nicole and Charlie there were several instances where the lawyers were su- would suggest something and they would go oh but the other person wouldn't do that oh but I don't think the other person would do that and I'm like well it seemed like these guys were so close to doing it amicably it's almost heartbreaking to see them like have to jump through all these hoops to get uh to get this solved because they were like they genuinely still cared about each other and like i think that they did want what was best for the other person but like you said there was one or two things that they could not agree on and so they had to do the whole rigmarole and uh, and that's just kind of disappointing to see and one thing that like kind of pissed me off when it came to like the lawyers was right at the end when like the divorce was being finalized and they were Nicole and Nora Nicole's lawyer were discussing like the final terms of the divorce and like right at the end Nora was like yeah I did a 55-45 uh split for custody and Nicole was like but I don't want that. I thought we were doing 50-50. And Nicole was like, yeah, but I didn't want him to go around telling people that he won. And I'm like, it's not your business. You're not part of the relationship. You are literally just the lawyer. Why are you going behind your client's back and doing things to make things more complicated between them? Yeah, it's just like uh, the lawyers are very much like blood in the water lawyers. They like, yeah, they're trying to solve the, they're not, they're trying to 
to like win the case for their clients, but excuse me for the voice crack. Uh, they're trying to win their case for their clients, but they're also trying to win the case for them. Uh, right. You know, th- they need their reputation uh, boosted. And if Laura Dern only got a 50-50 split, then, you know, the only clients she's going to get are the 50-50 splitters. So, but I agree. It still, it still <laughs> sucks to watch. Like, it, it's, fr- uh, and that scene, I, like, again, even though they had been through so much with the divorce, even though they screamed at each other and Adam Driver punched a hole in the wall and, you know, Nicole got told that uh, uh, Charlie wished that she had died, you know, at the end, she was st- she still wanted that 50-50 split. Right, there was and, still love for each other. And at the end of the movie, they still um, hung out with each other and Charlie met her new boyfriend and, like, it like it, it it all settled nicely and it's just like it just hurts to watch how much pain they had to go through in order to uh to in order to resolve and end up in a peaceful civil state of being exactly one of my favorite scenes in this movie is there's a blackout that happens in LA and Nicole's front gate won't close and so she's anxious about it so Henry and Charlie come over right and right at the end once they're like closing the gate like it's Nicole and Charlie and you just see them like longingly staring at each other as this gate closes and I thought that that was like super signifying of like this chapter of their lives closing even though they still hold that love for each other and like but like it's time for them to move on from this. Yeah, and and that same scene had um uh, a sequence that I think is just dignifying, you know, signifying of what their relationship is going to become is uh Nicole cuts everybody's hair. You know, in the, uh when they were married, she cut her hair, she cut Charlie's hair, and she cut Henry's hair. And so when he's over fixing the gate, she's like, she just says kind of like offhandedly like, "Hey, your hair's getting kind of long." And he's like, "Yeah, I just haven't really had the time to find someone to cut it and she's just like i'll still cut your hair if you want me to i'll cut your hair and so there's like it's an intimate scene is i think is the best way to put it is you know she's cutting his hair while they're going through a divorce and she's nice about it they don't fight it's like she's doing him a friendly favor and it's it's uh it's a glimpse into the good old times yeah and kind of i think what they want to go back to after it's all been settled i do want to (laughs) say i don't henry could not have been sabotaging charlie's case worse if he tried (laughs) Oh my and, god. And like he's just a kid. I don't think he was purposely trying to sabotage anything, but like god, he went he was just like the way he was as a person, as a child. Like that what that like supervisor or like that uh I the evaluator? What, yeah, the evaluator that came in is just like everything that Henry did was like indicative of like Charlie, you need to pick it up. Like, oh my god. And also, Charlie was not helping himself either. So Henry Henry asks Charlie, like, hey, can you do the knife trick? And to, you know, a a normal adult, a kid asking for a knife trick is pretty whack. And and Charlie's like, no, let's not do that. I don't want to do that. But eventually, he does show the evaluator the knife trick. And cuts himself clean open. Like, he normally, like... It's basically like he pretends to cut himself, but he puts the blade away. 
away before it actually goes into his skin. But this time he didn't put the knife fully away, so he puts like this like eight inch gash into his forearm. And he's and he plays it off like it's nothing. And he passes out from blood loss. And I'm like, hey, Charlie, this is the moment where you got to understand you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Like if you're trying to impress the evaluator and you goof it so bad, you pass out from blood loss. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) I don't think he actually passed out because he just he laid on the floor because he was just like, I give up. And then when Henry came into the kitchen, he like rolled over on his stomach to hide what was going on. So Henry wasn't concerned. Yeah, I'm just like, regardless, the dude goofed it. And that was the point where I was like, oh, you're just straight up not worth helping in this movie. My social work background was crying for the evaluator because like we talk about how awkward it is to go into people's homes and like do the evaluations and how like you can't like you have to be like really open to what you're going to see. Because like, you know, if you go in at 9 a.m. and the kid doesn't have pants on yet, that's normal for a family, you know. But if it's like you're there at like three o'clock in the afternoon and the kid is still in their jammies okay you have to be like okay is this like a typical day is this just a lazy day and like you know if there's like some dishes in the sink that's not a big issue but if like the sink is piled high with like month old moldy dishes then that's a concern or like you expect that maybe like the trash can might not be empty but it's not overflowing with trash and there's not a bunch of garbage around it you know and it's like kind of like deducting like okay is this just like they've had a stressful week and I'm here on a random day or is this like an issue yeah although with that being said that evaluator was the most boring person on the planet so awkward god like she is I'm gonna say it she's the worst actress in this movie like (laughs) and and I I just think that she just like gave a really flat performance and it like it's one thing to have an awkward character but this character didn't feel just awkward this character felt flat she had she went like she did not go out of her way to make any interaction meaningful it felt like she was there to just be a body in a scene and anything past that was just kind of like i don't know i just i did not like that acting style i feel like that was like realistic though because it's that awkward it can be that flat because like you have to be like like you're supposed to be a little more friendly than she was like she was definitely like the like most awkward and like bland social worker (laughs) but like you have to remain like entirely unbiased but like you should be a little more friendly with the kids or like at least a little more cheerful and not just like uh i finished my water yeah so i'm just like i i I know that scene it could have been a lot cooler with a different style of social worker even if they didn't say anything else but just i know the performance i was not a fan of it (laughs) I feel like it was indicative of Charlie always drawing the short stick. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, also, I I wanted to make one last point, which is Nicole's sister. (laughs) If anyone that I was that close with botched serving papers as badly as she did, (laughs) we would have a serious talking. Like, uh, you'd be be getting the cold shoulder for a hot minute. She botched those, like, she messed that up in almost every way she could have. And I'm like, bestie, you had literally one job. One job and you botched it. 
it was just so painful to watch. Oh my god. But again, you know, I think this movie does a very good job at being normal life. You know, that is probably something that happens in most households is like someone discovers the papers before they've been officially been served. And like, it's realistic. It was just painful to watch. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> We recorded a net before we did this, right? And yeah, which net, won't be confusing for the audience at all. Right, no. But in the recording of that, we discuss, you know, the Adam Driver singing stuff. And we yeah. say that, like, this was, like, the first one that he sang it. But that was incorrect because here he is busting out in song at the end of this movie. And it was pretty good. I was here for it. Yeah. It's def it's definitely the singing of someone who's a director. <laughs> <laughs> it was karaoke night, okay? It yeah. wasn't bad. It was you know, some of it was I'll... better than, you know, some other people who've sang in films before. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Um, although I this movie did do my pet peeve. I have very few technical pet peeves when it comes to movies. However, if you are going to give us the same volume when you're in front of a microphone versus when you're not at a microphone, you're wrong. Incorrect. Wrong. <laughs> at least. Incorrect. At least change like the like the sound quality, you know, he sounded the exact same in front of that microphone versus when he was in the booth. And, and uh, like, guys, guys, please. It, it's just fr the only movie that I've seen do it correctly that I can remember is like Incredibles 2 when the mayor is, <laughs> is when the mayor is revealing you know the bullet train that is the only movie that I can remember off the top of my head that had like accurate microphone dynamics and I'm like Ugh. it's it's not gonna it doesn't reflect in my score but it's something I notice when it happens every time I agree so what's your score for this one Gregory uh seven and a half really good acting lots of good acting um there were some boring parts there were some fine parts there were some really good parts so i i think there's this movie like we've said a billion times it, it reflects a realistic uh portrayal of this event but it is entertaining the entire time it is engaging the entire time when you try to make something like real life it has the potential to be boring af because life is boring af but this movie is not it is engaging and it is entertaining and you definitely pick a side and you're probably gonna think that that side is with nicole because she is you know she's just more caring about henry than charlie is that's just the facts um and yeah I i'd say seven and a half I had this whole thing, you know, that I was going to say about it, and Craig just covered it all. So, yeah, oh, 7.5 okay, for the exact reasons that Craig said. <laughs> Dude, listen, sometimes, sometimes we're on a wavelength. It's the bestie thing, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah, rock on. Rock on. <laughs> All right, and now on to Annette. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about with this movie, all right? Excuse me while I punch my mic. Um, so if you are unfamiliar with this movie, it's out on Amazon Prime. And the long and short of it is uh, Adam Driver's character, whose name is Henry. McHenry. Is Henry McHenry. And his wife, whose name is Anne. Uh, he's a stand-up comedian. She's an opera. Like, she's the lead in an opera. And it's the story of their marriage and uh them having a kid and uh them raising the kid that that's the long and short of it 
we'll explain more as we go. But um, this is the first movie that I didn't know was a musical going into it. And it caught me very much off guard. The only reason this is a musical is because there's like literally five lines of dialogue. Otherwise, yeah. it's an opera. It's a straight up opera. Yeah, it's very last five years where the majority of the dialogue is written and performed through song. But there are also some like more musical theatery type songs along the way. And overall, when it comes to the music, so the music, I was looking through the trivia for this and uh, this movie was not written as a movie, the duo Sparks, who wrote the music for this, they wrote it as a concept album, but as they continued to write it, it's just like, this is a movie, let's, let, this is a movie. And I've never heard of Sparks before this. Um, you know, they have a decent following. And <laughs> I didn't know this until I looked them up. The very opening of the movie is a recording session for Sparks. Like, they're in a studio recording. And my note for that is just, like, this movie starts with the most sad band on the planet. <laughs> like, that band just looked so sad. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. This is the actual these are the actual musicians that wrote for this movie and i whoopsie do whoopsie poopsie my first note during that scene is literally what is happening i have so many feelings right now it's it's literally two seconds of like six people recording in a studio and i'm just like i don't know what the tone of this movie is yet and if it's this it's weird you know who i didn't expect to show up howard from big bang yeah Yes, I was like, what is Simon Helmerg doing here? <laughs> I was like, oh, where, where do you fit in here? Like, and so like, it makes sense. This is a very narrow straw that I'm grasping at. But he was also in Dr. Horrible Singalong blog. Okay. So like him, him being attached to a musical property is not completely unheard of. But like, uh, still, it's not like, what is he doing next to Adam Driver? Exactly. Like, okay, so most... Most of my notes aren't even plot-based for this, so like... I don't know if we're going to go through the plot as much as we have with other movies. So just go watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Sponsor us, Amazon. Actually, don't. Yeah. You suck. But <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. Like, okay, I am a 22-year-old adult, and it was the end of my work week. So I may or may not have watched this a little not sober. But I also don't think it would have made it better to watch it sober. <laughs> So, so this movie starts out fine. Like it's, it's, it's pretty normal, but like as the movie goes on, it just gets more and more surreal and weird. Like it's very abstract so far. Yeah, that's exactly the word. Like, I don't want to go so far as to say like, it's like lighthouse weird, but it's, it's close. It's pretty close. It's out there. My my partner described it as spiritual Pippin. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Um, so in overall, I want to talk about. I want to start with the music and. There were times where the music was really good and times where the music was really bad. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think that Adam Driver sold it a hundred percent. His voice his voice sounds like the guy you end up sitting next to at Sunday church service and when you're singing like like at an older church when you're singing the traditional hymns during worship. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's just what I related it to. And so, um, 
the, a lot of the music, and I think pretty much all the vocals for this were per, were performed live on set and recorded live on set. Mm-mm. And I just want to say, doesn't always make it better. Mm-mm. Worked for Les Mis. It worked for last five years. Did it? quite work for this the because the opening number they're all like walking around the corner they're all walking down a street block and there were just times where like the harmonies weren't tight the voices weren't blended and i'm like this could have been better if this was in a studio and mixed so there were just some times where like the vocal impact was lowered because the performance was like muddled by too many other things Mm -hmm. but there were also really good songs like i think the uh, we are like I forget the exact lyrics, but like we are like we really love each other. We it's just are we really are in, in love. love. Yes, yeah, I really like that song. Um, I think that the harmonies on that were a lot tighter. It was super simple, but it made it easier to be catchy, and like I was on board with that. I also liked the song where um, Adam Driver's character, Henry, has like his mental break on stage Mm -hmm. where he's like, I killed my wife. I killed my wife. And everyone's like scolding him. He storms off stage and then goes into this like super angsty ballad. I loved that one. Yeah. Very musical theater. And that's just my style. And and, like another very musical theater song that happened was uh, the interrogation scene. It's just like 90 seconds Mm -hmm. of the cops singing and interrogating him and i'm like this is what i like this is the kind of musical stuff that i like and that's what also like gave it the pippin vibe that my partner and i landed on because we were like yeah because personally i went into pippin entirely blind and i went into this entirely blind other than like the little bits of information that i shared with you craig and it was literally the same vibe like i was like literally just like what is going on on the entire time but i wasn't upset about it yeah this movie is very surreal was the word that i kept landing on um and at first i wasn't a fan of it i thought that first of all henry McHenry's a bad stand-up comedian i don't know if that was on purpose or not but literally the generic bo burnham yeah i i also had that thought but the more i thought about it was i don't know if he's bo burnham simply because he's singing and i don't know if henry McHenry's act involves singing or if that's just how it's being portrayed in the movie if that makes sense the reason i got that vibe is because it was like he went from like just kind of like talking to the audience to then like doing the auto-tune on his knee kind of yeah so that's when i was like they stole this one from Bo Burnham. Also, Henry McHenry is also the me- the most pretentious stand-up comedian. Oh my god. Because he kept cuz he kept doing that thing on stage, which is fine to do once. You get to do it once, but then if you keep doing it, it's pretentious where he's like, "I'm here to make you laugh. Laugh, laugh, laugh. Time to laugh. Dance for me. Dance for me so you can laugh." And I'm like, "Shut up." Yeah, he made it a part- part of the show instead of just like a one-time one-off joke so i thought that was super pretentious and i did not and i don't know if that's the point but like that's why i was not on board i did not like adam driver's character and so um the conductor who is the guy played by simon helberg 
thank you. And like, you know, he's unimportant for the first half of the movie. So the only character that I have to relate to is Anne and she's not in it very much. No, they made her character like so flat. Like it kind of peeved me because like they, they literally as Adam Driver's character, as Henry McHenry describes her, she just dies and dies and dies and dies in the opera. And that's like it. And I'm like, can we get a little more depth for like the one female character that's not a baby? Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to start defending this movie because I walked away from this movie with the final decision this movie rules it's so good it's so good it's so self-awarely pretentious that it wraps around and makes it so incredibly good and I and I'll tell you why I thought it ruled because uh, almost the very beginning of this movie you get like a very bad green screened shot of <laughs> Adam Driver riding a motorcycle I'm glad you mentioned that because I had and the same thing because it's presented almost entirely out of context it's the first time that we see this style of cinematography in this movie and you're just like oh that's a really cheap green screen but they keep doing these like surreal and borderline stupid special effects that you're just like what is going on with this movie and there's a point about halfway through where spoiler Anne dies and after that happened and the cops all started singing to Henry I had the literal thought okay this movie is just gonna keep doing this and I as an audience member have to choose to get on board or get out of the way and I'm like and I'm like I'm choosing to get on board. So that's what that's the lens that I watched the second half of the movie through and it made it much more enjoyable. I agree. That was that was definitely a hurdle that I jumped over as well cuz I was like for like the first half of the movie like I've said I was like what is going on? Like is this like am I too dense to understand this? But I was fully understanding what was going on. And I was like, "Uh, okay, let's just we're just going to go into this like I did with Pippin, as I mentioned, and we're just going to ride this wave. And it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, I think Annette has now taken the cake over Renesme as creepiest movie baby. Oh, my God. I thought the same thing. Purpose. So <laughs> it was so creepy. I was like, yeah, I have so- a note where it's like, this is literally like watching Chucky. Like I felt like it yeah. was going to be Chucky. Yeah, because for 99% of the movie, Annette is portrayed by like a marionette doll. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things they they do it. They introduce Annette very slowly. I also want to say, if you haven't watched the movie, Anne is the wife and Annette is is the kid. Yes. That might get confusing if you don't know that. So I wanted to make that clear. So um, they uh, introduce Annette very slowly, like uh, in the backgrounds and wrapped up and in shadows. So like you think like just enough, like that baby looks weird. Why does that baby look weird? Oh, that baby's a doll. Yeah. Can we, can we, like, first of all, if you can make me laugh through labor, you're a god. Second of all, <laughs> can we unpack why they made her a marionette doll? Yeah. Go for it. Tell me what you think. I mean, like, this movie is very, I think through all its surrealness and abstractness, it can also be very literal. Mm-hmm. And I think Annette being a marionette is her being, very literal. Yeah, her being a puppet for both their lives. And like, if you don't catch on to that, they literally like explain it at the end when, spoiler alert, she's revealed as like an actual child and has been an actual child this entire time, but she was a marionette doll because she was a pawn for both of her parents. 
Yeah, mostly Henry. Let's Mo- be clear. Mostly Henry. Mostly Henry. But she did accuse Anne as well within her song. So that's yeah. what that's why I included that because she was like, "Uh, no, it was my mom too." And Henry was like, "Um, maybe not as much as me, but yeah." But I thought that was because like I was really confused at the beginning when it first happened. I was like, "What? Why? Why is this happening?" And then I was like, "Oh, it all makes sense now." Yeah, and I think that the boat scene where Anne dies, like I think that that's truly just a turning point for the movie because mm-hmm. that's when like the action truly starts happening that's where we start to get like some like hooks into what we want to happen in the movie and the and that's where you that's where i think the movie's stylization really comes to fruition because they do the same thing like with the motorcycle scene like the green screen i don't even know if it's a green screen or if it's like a painting or whatever like what like they have like those paintings on like tracks or whatever just like a backdrop yeah so i don't know if it's that or whatever but like they have this very obviously fake background and somebody is very obviously throwing buckets of water on them from off camera camera and you're just like yeah this is what i want this mm-hmm. i'm cool with this happening i don't know how it did that i don't know it lured me into a false sense of uh i don't want to say uh, it, it made me think the movie was going to be bad for a very long time so when it turned out to be good i'm like you've duped me it's and i commend you for it it's literally a roller coaster this Movie is literally a total roller coaster. And do you want to talk about? Oh, sorry, you do your thing. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, do you want to talk about why you wanted to watch this movie in the first place? Okay, it wasn't why. It was just an it's extra big. It wasn't why. It was just because I wanted to watch it anyway because I knew that it was a musical, and I was like, okay, this will be interesting because rumor has it that let's for be clear. his. Let's be clear. Bug introduced me to this movie with this fact that we're about to hear. <laughs> Rumor Carry on. has it that for Adam Driver's Juilliard edition, he sang Happy Birthday and still got in. So I was like, okay, let's see what all the hype is about. And like, he, he wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. But, mom, if you're listening, please do not listen for the next Craig, it's your time limit. Mom, <laughs> mom, if you're listening, crank that up. Put it on the Bluetooth speaker. Don't crank Get it up. Get that in here too. No, <laughs> do not. You will be uncomfortable. I will be uncomfortable. So, on the Twitter sphere, there was a rumor going around at the beginning of publication for this movie and like talk of this movie that there was a scene where Adam Driver was singing as he was having sex with a woman. And I was like, that's gonna be wild. And it was just uncomfortable. I'm not getting more specific than that. I am not getting more specific than that because this is not an 18 and older show. I want you to know, you can't see me right now. I am sitting here with my mug in my hand. Like, I'm just like on the porch watching the kids play in the front yard. (laughs) I am not getting more specific. If you want more specific than that, you have to go watch it yourself. But there is a scene where Henry and Anne are singing as they have intercourse. And it was both uncomfortable and intriguing at the same time. But I was just like, what is going on the entire time? You can say it was hot. (laughs) 
You can say it no, was hot. No, because I don't know if it was. I don't know if I was more uncomfortable or if I was more just like David At- David Attenborough on National Geographic being like, oh, the two humans <laughs> writhe together in their pasty sweatiness. <laughs> But that listen, this Did you might think be it was hot? Popular opinion. Did you think it was hot, Gregory? <laughs> Craig thought it was hot. <laughs> so, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I personally am not a fan of sex scenes in movies. Mm-hmm. Like I'm okay with like implied sex. I'm okay with like TV sex or whatever. But like this movie gets pretty graphic and pretty intimate. Great. Yeah. It only does, so it does it twice and it's for like a total of like 90 seconds. So we're making a bigger deal about it than it actually is in regards to the movie. But like, I'm just the kind of person where I see, you know, a very intimate and graphic sex scene. And my first thought is, these people have partners. I know Adam <laughs> Driver is married. That was and a whole conversation the- that I had with my partner because I told them I was like, yeah, he's married and has kids. And he's like, man. His wife must be real secure in their relationship. And I was like, I yeah, I be. mean, it's hey, just work. I wouldn't be. It's like, it's like when porn stars are married. Like, you just have confidence in your relationship, I guess. And it's and just work. I and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I am an incredibly insecure individual. And I am secure enough to say that out loud. So, you know, to the pe- to the to the marriages that can go through something like that, I respect that so Props much. to you. I have so much respect for that. I personally would get like, oh, so deep in that depressive <laughs> well. Like, you would have to fish me out if that was my partner. Just personal, personal boundary. I'd never, I don't think I'd ever watch the scene. Like, I'd just fast forward through it. I wouldn't be able to watch it. Like, I'd be like, okay, this is work for you. I have respect for you. You have respect for me. We trust each other, but I'm never watching that scene. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> this movie, well, let me pull up my notes. I haven't pulled those up yet. Can we talk about Adam Driver's hair? The long hair? Like, that's such a good look. Honestly, honestly, yeah. such a good look. Um, was there? There's, there's like, one song in particular that when I keep thinking about the performance of this, like I keep getting dragged down by wanting to compliment the performances, and it's the scene where Adam, where Henry finds out that Annette might and is probably the conductor's daughter, and mm-hmm. he's like up against the tree, and he does like those voice cracks, and I'm like, I understand this is appropriate for the character at the moment that this song is supposed to be a little unhinged but like it's not fun to listen to i feel like it added more it showed like the actual emotion that was like going on in it i I felt like it wasn't like the worst of the songs but it was it was it because i feel like it added like i said to the emotion of the scene because it's like one of the most high intense emotion scenes that there are yeah um i i think there were just other moments in the movie that had intense scenes but the songs did not suffer because of it Mm -hmm. and the and the scene that makes me think about that is when he does that bit where he says that he's killing his wife um 
the way the audience interacts with him in that moment, and also just like throughout the entire first half of the movie, the way he, Henry interacts with the audience and the audience, specifically how the audience interacts back with him, I thought was really cool. So when he does finally have that break and the audience like turns on him, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is, this, this is cool. Yeah. What's happening here? I like this that's happening. Can we talk about, we've talked about the police interrogation scene and how we both really liked that one, but can we talk about how he used a hat and sunglasses as a disguise while leaving, (laughs) (laughs) while leaving the police station? I was like, oh yes, the best disguise possible, a hat and some sunglasses. It's like uh, earlier in the movie when he rolls up, kisses Anne, and then slams down his motorcycle visor, and the paparazzi is just like yelling at him to take the visor off. (laughs) And okay, after that, there's a scene of Henry and Annette on the motorcycle, and neither of them are wearing helmets. It's wild. He wears a helmet the entire movie, except for in that scene. And I'm like, the one time you have the baby with you, you're not wearing a helmet. Please, Henry, get it together. Also... Are yachts supposed to go that far out into the ocean? I don't think so. Because, like, a yacht like that, like, if you're going on a vacation on your yacht, sure, get away from shore. Maybe still seashore, though. Their yacht didn't even look like a yacht. It looked like a fishing boat, like a commercial (laughs) fishing boat. I was like, that's their yacht? (laughs) Pretty bad yacht for, like, the most powerful couple in entertainment like it literally looked like a crab fishing boat and maybe that was just the scale that we saw it at but like it's also the description for this movie is like Anne and henry find like have a daughter that has special powers and you look at the poster and it's henry and Anne on the ocean mm-hmm. and, you, and like you put those two things together and you're like oh annette's like a water fairy or something no she just sings she's a baby that sings henry is no longer funny and so he's like okay i'm going to exploit my child yeah so this overall this movie is good i honestly walked away from this movie loving it so and it's weird it's surreal it's abstract it's just funky and you gotta be okay with that and adam driver looks like a greek sculpture the entire time so if that's all you need that's all you need but it's good overall yeah so this might be this might be a hot take i'm giving this bad boy a flat eight i agree that's what i was gonna say i was gonna say that it's definitely an eight for me so like the the things that could have made this a higher movie is if um things got on track a little bit sooner Mm -hmm. the fact that i spent the first half of this movie unsure was not good this this movie felt like when you go into a modern dance performance and you kind of have to be like okay leave all expectations and inhibitions at the door when you begin this movie yeah so i think um if you want a weird movie this will suffice yep for sure (laughs) all right let's talk about house of gucci 
years. Um, That's going to need to be bleeped. Yeah, I know. Um, Listen, I am running on a weird energy today. Um, (laughs) So this House of Gucci is a biopic or a biopic. You can take your pick on the pronunciation. Biopic. Sure. And uh, Adam Driver plays a Gucci. Okay, here's the thing. So Lady Gaga marries into the Gucci family and basically like works her way up in the Gucci empire. And I need to look up everybody's names because even though these are real people, they all sound like they were like named from like Romeo and Juliet. Well, it's Italian, of course. Yeah. So we got Patrizia and Maruzio and Rodolfo and Aldo. And I'm like, hey, gang, if you wanted to be in a Shakespearean play, don't name your kids like it, okay? Just do it yourselves. I mean. Anyway, this is the movie that you were excited for. So I'm going to let you. I'm going to. That was my dumb joke at the beginning. You can go ahead. (laughs) This movie was definitely one that I looked for forward to even though i knew next to nothing about it i'm not even like a super fashion fan you know but i was still like oh my gosh it's lady gaga and adam driver i don't know who i'm more excited for and honestly it didn't disappoint okay um so i'm watching this movie after a month of watching biopics so i am particularly well versed in the genre at this point um and i think that this movie is like it's very biopic i like it it fits the genre very well i don't think it does anything to try to break the genre which isn't a bad thing i don't think um it's just something where if you are not a fan of the genre, which I am kind of not, this two and a half hour long movie might not be your favorite. But I feel like this one did it a little different because in a lot of them, it's like very much, you know, bad guy versus good guy. But with this one, all of the characters were very much morally gray, except for Lady Gaga's character. But yeah, we're not, not so... going to go into that one. <laughs> Yeah, I I definitely agree. And you start the movie and um, Adam Driver, who plays uh, Maurizio. I'm going to butcher all the Italian names. You're just going to have to be okay with that. Adam Driver, he plays, you know, he's studying to be a lawyer because he genuinely wants to help people. He doesn't want anything to do with the Gucci name, the Gucci family, the Gucci brand. And he starts dating lady gaga patrizia and she's like well maybe if we like kind of dabbled in the family business that would be nice and the movie is kind of watching that mindset snowball from two people who uh genuinely just kind of wanted to be a part of it so that way they could be with their family to it slowly being we want to make this our empire yes as money does to people and this movie follows like there's a lot of uh what you would expect from this kind of movie like you know there's the lying and the manipulating and the backstabbing and the cheating and the unstable marriage and all that stuff and and like if that's the stuff you're looking for you're gonna find it here um the acting is the acting is good i think that everybody did a very good job acting i personally think that jared leto's performance was my favorite (laughs) um i was just about to say can we talk about how 
unrecognizable he was. Like, my partner didn't even realize that was him until he looked at the poster later on and was like, oh my gosh, that's Jared Leto. I was like, yeah, you yeah. can see it. You can see it in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, he's the comedic relief character. Um, He is the, he's the family idiot. He, like, nobody respects him. He has, you know, all the worst ideas. His fashion ideas are uncouth and unmarketable. And everyone in the family makes fun of him for it. And his dad is openly like, yeah, my son's an idiot. Like he says those exact words. And um, and I think that Jared Leto did a very good job. You know, you feel bad for him when you're supposed to feel bad for him. Um, Whenever, you know, Jared Leto's character kind of, you know, whenever he does get the upper hand, I was kind of like, yeah, you tell him, Paulo. Um, and, and, and like, I, I think he had the best, uh, performance in the movie. Um, Jeremy Irons, I think was also very good. Um, dude, <laughs> Jeremy Irons, character is super old in this movie and you just watch him get older and older. And I've never seen a character that looked more like walking death than Jeremy Irons, character. <laughs> By one point in it, he kind of started looking like the picture of Prince Philip. Yeah, like this guy's gonna <laughs> croak at any second, and we need and we we need to be ready for that. Exactly. I like Lady Gaga and Adam Driver's performances were amazing, and like knowing that Lady Gaga refused to speak in anything but her Italian accent while filming this movie is very interesting because that's a lot of dedication, and I don't know if I could ever actually do that that's a lot of dedication and i appreciate it as an audience member however if i was in her vicinity while that happened that just sounds so uppity like i've been around people you know in theater and whatnot that need to stay in character the whole time and like some people just need to do that and i understand that however when someone's like hey i'm making a coffee run does anybody want anything and they're like oh yes i would like one espresso please i'm like hey Brittany, you could just say you want an espresso you're good actually I like, I like how high you took that that was uh that was a good one i need i needed to choose a character voice fast <laughs> and you went with top of the range yeah and again this you know as we've learned method acting has its highs and it has its suicide squads so whenever somebody says, oh, yeah, they refuse to do da-da-da, they only did da-da-da, I'm like, that is a coin flip, and it's we're only celebrating it because it worked. I want to know what wild, wacky thing Jared Leto did for this one. Um, I don't know. He probably wore the fat suit the entire time. <laughs> yeah, probably. Something like that. Yeah. Um... Al Pacino. Oh my god, I love I'm... seeing Alan this. <laughs> yeah, he is good in this. He has a bigger role than you would expect him to. I mean, like, unless you know the story in real life, which I didn't. And um, you, and the way you're introduced to his character, you're kind of like, oh, he's the uncle. He comes in every now and then. I'm expecting to not see him. And then Adam Driver spends most of his time with him. And I'm like, oh, you're just a part of this movie now. Uh, okay, hi. Al, nice to see you. I definitely agree. 
can we also talk about how um, Selma Hayek is married to the man who is the founder and CEO of the company who currently owns Gucci? Hey, that is a fun fact, but I would like to bring up something else, and I'm glad you talked about this. Can we talk about how Salma Hayek is in more of this movie than she is in The Eternals? And her name isn't on this poster. This is very true. <laughs> Like, the press interviews for the Eternals, it's like, Salma Hayek is the leader of the Eternals! And she's in like, ah, no, 10 minutes of that movie. She's in probably 15 of this one, and I didn't even know she was in it until she showed up. I was excited to see her in it because I love her, and I think that she, along with, you know, Adam Driver, has had a very good movie year this year. Yeah, Salma Hayek rules, right? Like, I fell in love with Salma Hayek. I want you to guess what movie I fell in love with Salma Hayek in. Oh my, which one? You are correct. It is Grown Ups. Oh my god. <laughs> of all of them. I watched Grown Ups a lot as a kid, and I'm like, who's this very hot mom? You know who <laughs> I, what movie I fell in love with her in? Uh, Hitman's Bodyguard. Across the Universe, and she's in it for literally, like, 45 seconds. Dude, shout out Salma Hayek for being in movies for almost no amount of time, <laughs> yet somehow being the most important person. <laughs> Mad respect. And one of the most beautiful, truly. Yeah. So, uh, shout out Salma Hayek. Uh, we appreciate you. We see you. You're the best. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought that this movie's beginning, I, I, I really liked how this movie started out because I think it did a very good job at establishing how humble they were, right? I think because um, when Lady Gaga first asks Adam Driver out on a date and they go on their date, um, uh, Adam Driver tries to take her to an expensive restaurant and she's like, oh no, this is too expensive. We couldn't eat here if I wanted to. And then they get food from a food truck. And like, I thought that was a cute scene. And when Adam Driver eventually gets kicked out of his house and uh, he starts working for Lady Gaga's father's company and he's just like washing the trucks and they're... That scene and he's, like, was playing... so cute. Yeah. And he's just like playing soccer with... Um, the other workmen and i'm like this is good i i liked i really liked that dynamic um so i i think the movie did a very good job at uh uh setting that up it's setting that up and it did a really good job at like following the descent yeah um this movie i think is probably one of the biggest trailer to movie line butcherings i've ever experienced in my life because in the trailer it eventually became a tiktok meme where she's like i don't consider myself a particularly ethical person but i am fair and then in the movie she just kind of like races through that line as fast as possible i'm like oh well, uh i'm not what i was expecting sorry sorry about that miss gaga also like the scene in which that line is in i was like ooh i would be embarrassed <laughs> Yeah, like that's the scene that she says that in is not a particularly impactful scene. It's with a character we don't see past like the second act. Well, no, I think that it's super impactful. Like I would be embarrassed if I was the character who was it, it was being said to with the second half of what that line is. Because like to be called out like that and then to still have the audacity to do what she did. Yeah, um, I, I th there's... 
a bit where um they they go to switzerland for a little bit and they meet up with uh some of adam driver's old friends and uh, uh, we can't say anything else because it spoils things yeah and, and and i just like i felt that that whole arc that little bit right there i'm just like i didn't love it i'm like it, the only thing it did was it like kind of drove another wedge between adam driver and lady gaga like it kind of like uh loosened up their marriage not that's a bad way to phrase it it like destabilized their marriage like just a little bit and um i feel like that was, was actually like the big like one of the biggest wedges because that was like or at least started like the domino effect yeah because throughout the entire movie and it happens like almost as soon as it can there's this um dynamic that um everybody in the gucci family does not respect lady gaga as a gucci because she married into the family at almost every opportunity they can someone will like come up with a jab about how she is not gucci by blood and lady gaga has it was she's super defensive about it the entire movie and when we get to this scene where we're anytime adam driver introduces someone to lady gaga that is from before he met her i she takes it as another reason why she is not gucci by blood and i'm like understandable but like that happens with any marriage <laughs> you know you're gonna meet friends that know your partner maybe not better than you do but in a different way than you do and i'm just like hey Patricia, take a breath, baby. You're doing fine. Well, everything that she wasn't aware of was a threat to her and the fortune she wanted. Yeah. Um, did you think that Lady Gaga was after the money the whole time? Because in the first act, there's this very big debate between Adam Driver and Jeremy Irons, who plays his father. And Jeremy Irons is like, do not date this girl. You can sleep with her. You can go on vacation with her. You can do literally whatever you want, but do not marry this girl because, you know, women are only after your money. And Adam Driver is like, she's different. She doesn't want my money. She genuinely loves me. And, um, and throughout the movie, you know, it, like I said, it starts in a very humble beginning. And I think that Lady Gaga's character is like genuinely one, like she may not be like super happy with her life, but I think she's content with the amount of money she has. But as she starts to like become part of the Gucci empire, that Gucci greed, Gucci greed, uh, <laughs> starts to like, uh, influence her. So I'm curious if you think that she was always in it for the money, if the money was just part of it and made the pot sweeter, or do you think it was something that she discovered she wanted along the way? Okay. So I think that from the moment that Patrizia and Maurizio are introducing themselves to each other, like, you know, obviously Patrizia is interested in Maurizio, but once she finds out that he's a Gucci, you literally see her eyes widen. And so, like, I think in the beginning, it was like, uh, it made the pot a whole lot sweeter, but it wasn't all about the money. And once, you know, she realized just how much money they could be getting, and also once Pina was involved and told her that she was going to be, you know, getting a fortune, if I can say that, you might have to take yeah. that part out. Once Pina was involved, I think that's when the descent began and when she began to 
be a lot more aggressive about getting the money and you know once she met Al Pacino's character um Aldo and kind of you know got miffed by him but was also getting things left and right from him I feel like when she got the taste she just wanted more and more and more if that makes sense yeah yeah and so, <laughs> I think it's I, I genuinely think it's kind of buck wild because the way that uh, Patrizia meets Pina who is Salma Hayek's character is Pina is a tele is a telepsychic psych- yeah so she had like a public access show that ran at one in the morning and patrizia was just up watching it and she's like all right let's see what we got here and so she calls in like hey what can you do a reading for me and then they just become like best buds i'm like all right i would all right i guess cool it's it's buck wild she was doing what we all do eating ice cream in her kitchen at one in the morning yeah and so i think I, i i think i don't know if she ever won I I never got the impression that she wanted the empire. I think that she wanted enough to not have to worry about money because like when because you know there's a scene where they're like touring the like the gucci farm and she's like oh it would kind of be nice to like just have something like this you know just so we don't have to worry about anything and then after that it's like how about we take everything yeah it was uh okay i want a little bit i want a little bit i want a little bit and then it was i want it all or we could have it all more than anything it was a we could have it all and she just wanted control over everything so that way she could feel like she was a Gucci. Yeah, and I think Adam Driver was just kind of a push over the whole movie. <laughs> uh, yes, until he finally stood his ground, but then it was, you know... Downhill from there? Uh, yeah, too little, too late, I guess. Yeah, because the entire time... <laughs> Because Patrizia is just like, hey, we need to get the rest of your family out of Gucci. And Adam Driver's like, they're my family. You're the one that's like, we should do this for the family. And she's like, I know, I know, I know, I know, but money, money, please. And Adam Driver's like, got me again. <laughs> happy <laughs> wife, like happy life. Minutes. Um, but yeah, overall, did you have anything else? I think that's all I had. Because yeah, so, half the things I want to say, we can't because spoilers. <laughs> so I think that this movie is for a type of person and I am not particularly that person. I did not hate this movie. I, I liked this movie. Um, I just think that, you know, it's well made. It's well acted. Uh, the story is interesting. I, I, I think the story could have been refined a little bit. I think we, I think we could have made that 240 cut down to 210 real easy and kind of make it a little bit sharper. Um, but you know, there, there's a lot of good intensity going on. It's like a, it's like a fashion brand game of Thrones going on in there. Uh, so there's genuinely a lot of appeal to it. So, um, I, I, but it's just not my kind of appeal. So what's your rating? Uh, I'm going to say 6.75. 6.75 getting real specific with those decimals there listen yeah because it's not quite a seven because like seven starts getting into like personal taste territory but like six and a half i feel like is like come on let's give it a little bit of credit i think that this movie was right up my alley because there was drama there was TM. a little bit of romance say it again tm <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like 
every scene visually and aesthetically well not I can't say every scene 90% of the scenes visually and aesthetically were like absolutely beautiful to yeah me. if you like late 80s early 90s fashion this serves it up in droves even like, like if you even like Italian architecture I'm just in love with yeah uh yeah and yeah all the costumes were gorgeous um you know I think I'm personally not a big fr- fan of you know the map sized of glasses frames but like adam's driver hair was was serving this entire movie i think it was all cute but anyway it had drama romance it was beautiful and like i said earlier i really liked how all of the characters were like morally gray like there wasn't necessarily a good character like a good person involved in yeah. <laughs> involved in this story and so i think that it is similar to others that we have watched this month another 7.5 all right rock on love it love it all right so our final movie that we're going to be talking about is the last duel and there's a reason we saved this one for last because uh we're I, we there, we need to put a very heavy content warning on this one um heavy if you, content if, warning if you are unfamiliar with the plot of this movie it has a lot to do with sexual assault so uh we're going to be saying that four letter r word a lot in this segment so if that's not something you're comfortable with for whatever reason in this is we put this Stop at the end here. for the reason yeah Stop you're good here no judgment you're good if you want to dip do not judge but i feel like i have uh you know i feel like i've talked for long enough where if you wanted to get out you could have so with that being <laughs> said let's talk about the last duel this movie okay you we went and saw this in theaters together. This was a movie that we actually got to see together, which was really yes. awesome. But you said that you found like a post online about it afterwards that mentioned that this was a really good film about a topic that does not need to be discussed anymore. And that summarizes it perfectly for me like it was yes. a really great film actors phenomenal phenomenal acting i really liked how they did the story but i don't like that they added the portrayals of what occurred yeah so so let's let's do a quick rundown real quick yeah so so this movie is first of all all these character names are you know old i'm not i don't remember any of them so i will be referring to them by their actors and actors alone like there's john and then there's jean <laughs> so if you are unfamiliar with this movie the premise is basically uh matt damon's character accuses adam driver's character of raping his wife and so the movie is told in three segments it's basically the same movie three times once told from matt damon's perspective once told from adam driver's perspective and once from uh jody comer's perspective and and I think that they did a really good job at mirroring similar events from different perspectives. Yes, and like those micro changes and like dialogue and everything and like how people interpreted things differently. Because the movie starts and it says chapter one, you know, Jean de Carouge, like like hit Matt Damon's truth. And by the time that section ends, I forgot that it was told in chapters. Right? So the entire time I was watching this movie, I'm like, oh, this is just the movie. This is what's happening. And then it does chapter two, Adam Driver's perspective. And I'm like, oh, oh, I forgot we, oh, I forgot there was more to this. 
Yeah. And and so we're to- we're taken through, I would say about 70% the same events told through a different perspective. Um obviously because we're looking at it from a different character's perspective, we don't get the same events, we get different events. And then we have Jodie Comer's perspective, which is almost entirely different from mm-hmm. the get-go. <laughs> Yeah, because she's not involved in the same things that they are. She is a woman in night times, so she doesn't see everything, but, like, obviously, it's her truth. Yes. So, the thing... Bug, you know, makes a very good point, a point that I very much agree with, is in most movies, it is difficult to watch one character get sexually assaulted. In this movie, we had to do it twice. Like, graphically, twice. Yeah, and, and it's not graphic in the sense that, like, you know... You know, not all these nudity body wise parts. yeah but, but like in, ter- in terms of like you see her facial expression and she is very good at portraying the emotions that she's going through like um adam driver his character he tells his story in a perspective of like ooh, she was leading me on and she might have pr- and she might have protested a little bit but that was so she could have plausible deniability and meanwhile like from Jodie Comer's perspective, she is weepy the entire time, and struggling screaming. and fighting and crying the entire time. And it, and it really, it really tells to like how it was back in these times because not only is it like she says this and then it's her husband who has to deal with everything and like do the duel or whatever, but him, like Adam Driver's character, being like, oh yeah, I mean, obviously she resisted a little bit. It, but like that's what they do that's what women do like I, I i like we made eye contact during that point and we were just like fuming we were just like he did not just i have never never rooted against an adam driver character as much as i did during this film because i was like no that, i was like throw him in the fire that line because like for the entirety of adam driver's section he is adamant like no i did not rape her i did not rape her and you know we're like well obviously you did otherwise you know this wouldn't be a movie and then like you get to a point where it's just like oh adam driver's character just thinks rape is something else yeah because, entirely because like in his mind it has to be like we had to tie you down and I had to hit you and like forcefully make you do it. But the fact that in the end you succumbed to it, like that means it's not rape. And even though you said no at first, you eventually stopped saying no, which means I was in the clear. And I'm like, oh, you are the grossest person alive. Literally. And I think it was like, it was really interesting when it came to him saying that and like that scene, because before the scenes of Adam and Jodie Comer, we see him with um Ben Affleck's character and they're like messing around with these women after a dinner and like almost the same exact sequence of events happens except for the girl is like running and playing hard to catch because she's like acting it up you know not because yeah. she doesn't want it but because it's like ooh, you can't catch me ooh. 
And then he catches her, throws her over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes, and then says, take this evil inside of you, which I was like, okay, that line was a little much there. But then it's literally when we get to the scene of Adam Driver and Jodie Comer where the rape actually happens, it's like the same events. She's like on the opposite side of a table trying to run from him, and he's like, you can run, but I'm going to catch you no matter what you do. And then he throws her over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes, and then it happens again. And it's like literally the same events, different girl, different scenarios because she didn't want it. Yeah, it's it's very disheartening to watch. Um, and and I think a movie like this, I think that there is a version of this movie that exists that is that portrays the same message without being as you know graphic as this one is. It literally could have just happened they're in the room he throws her over his shoulder she says no and then it cuts to him walking out or it cuts yeah. to her on the floor like that's all it needed it did not need the act it did not need the grunting it did not need the screaming like i get they wanted us to feel what was going on and feel the emotions but like you can tell that this was directed by a man because yeah. they included it <laughs> yeah and like the the version that i have in my head is if like if we had one of those like he slams the door behind him and with the slam it cuts away like that's it that's all we needed exactly and and again like the version that we have does what it wants to do very well because as much as i disagree with the concept of this scene i think it accomplishes what it wants to do which is in the scene you know adam driver like I said, he makes it a lot more playful and whatnot. Right. Meanwhile, in Jodie Comer's scene... She is like, scared and you feel her fear. Yeah, during the act, most of it is like um, a shot of like a close-up on her face. And you see, you know, every wrinkle of tension in her face. And, and you know, from a storytelling perspective, like, it was very good. That like, oh, this is a good portrayal of the differences between their stories. But it didn't need to be there. Exactly. It did not need to be there. The story would have been just as effective without it. And, you know, it was, like I said, it was a really great film about a topic that does not need to be portrayed on screen anymore or it doesn't need to be a plot point anymore really like so many people feel like rape needs to be a plot point to add depth but it doesn't it yeah. doesn't and so yeah like i said there's a version of this movie with the exact same plot that is as effective but not as grotesque how do you uh, think how do you how do you think like obviously it's a character you're playing a character, you're doing what's in the script, right? But like, I would need to talk to a therapist after I portrayed that scene on either side of it, whether I was yeah Adam's character or Jody's. Like, I would be like, can we just have somebody I can debrief with after this so I could come yeah. to terms with what I just had to pretend to do? Yeah, and and movie sets now the now these days they have um I think they're called like comfort coaches or something yeah. like that. So having having someone like that on set would definitely help me in that matter. Do so, you know if they had one on set for this? I movie have or to not? imagine they would. Like you can't have a movie like this and like not have someone like that, right? Um, but I I would hope so. Um, I I think about the same thing when it comes to um like <laughs> like racists yes um 
like, I think I remember reading that for Django Unchained, like, Leonardo DiCaprio was incredibly uncomfortable with how many racial slurs were in the script, which, like, first of all, Quentin, calm down. Exactly. <clears throat> and, like, I get it. And uh, I, I cannot, and, like, Samuel L. Jackson basically had to be like, hey, this is our every day. This is a movie, you're fine. Right, like, that... Because, like, with Django Unchanged, like, Unchained, I mean, they say, like, a whole bunch of slurs, right? But then with Antebellum, which is, like, a movie about, like, slavery and all that stuff, they use none. And they get the point across just as well. So, like, it's the same thing. Like, you can get the point across without it. There are, I would say, the thing that this movie does have going for it is the really rough parts. There are very few of them, and, like, if you need to, like, step away or, like, skip it, you're not missing much. Nope, you can skip it and you still get the entire plot. So, I, you know, there's a version of this movie where we could, like, <laughs> you, where you could literally drag it into Windows Media Player, cut out 90 seconds, and then burn it onto a new DVD, and you're good. You're good. It's a little so, longer than 90 seconds. It goes on for a little too long. Yeah. It goes on for a little too long in both of them. And I, like, turned to my partner while it was happening the second time and i was like is this necessary i was like is this necessary because like i couldn't i could not bring myself to watch it the entire time the second time around i was like nope i watched it the first time this is way more intense this time i need to look away like i looked at craig during the first one for part of it and then i looked at jordan for the second part i was like oh god yeah so with that being said, there are other parts of this movie that are good. Yeah, let's get on to those. <laughs> uh, but, but in my opinion, Ben Affleck steals the show. Uh, um, ben Affleck is a blonde? Hello. Yeah, so he, listen, again, detestable character. True. Garbage character. But he has just enough charisma to where I'm like, I enjoy watching you be bad. Yeah, it was like an enjoyable antagonist. Because um, his character throughout the entirety of Matt Damon's arc is only talked down upon. Matt Damon despises Ben Affleck's character. So like, I was prepared to just straight up hate this guy. And so when we cut to him and he's like at a dinner party and he's like having fun and he's having banter and I'm like, this is the same guy? Is is this the same guy? Uh, Another really good perspective shift. Yes, yeah, and uh, like I said, Ben Affleck's character, very good charisma. Um, ugh, Matt Damon's mom made me want to punch a wall. Oh my God, I was ready oh my to God. strangle that woman. I was like, you are Be- on your last day. Because she is so up in Jodie Comer's business about everything. And, uh, and ugh, God, I hate her so much. She's such a despicable, cold, wretched old hag. Yeah, oh my God. And I'm just thinking like, and let's be clear, this whole movie is her fault. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because because Matt Damon is like, hey, I'm going to be away for a week. My mom has business, but I told her not to take everyone. You shouldn't be in this house by yourself. And what does her mom do or what does his it, mom do? Rather take go everyone. on business and take everyone with her. God, bet hated her. And like I like 
you could uh, like yeah we're supposed to hate her but like it doesn't make it any more fun no no like it literally it just makes you so angry and like i will say that like i really liked that it did it in the three chapters and the three perspectives and i also really liked the action scenes that it included because it kept it kind of like it like spiced it up a little bit because it kept it from getting like too deep and serious like obviously it did more towards the end because that's when all this comes up but like in between they had like old battle scenes between Adam Driver and Matt Damon when they were on the same like side of the war and all that stuff and it was like seeing that relationship get built during like action scenes while the rest of it is more like exposition was really was really cool yeah um Although, if I have to see that, like, wedding party scene or that or the, that pregnancy party scene, that scene, what, not a fan of that one. There's just so much tension. And, ugh. Yeah, because I liked it when Matt Damon did it. And they're like, oh, they reconciled. Good for them. And then we watched that scene two more times because both of those scenes is just Adam Driver hitting on Jodie Comer. And I'm but like, was, all right, we get it. It was really cool to see... Like Matt Damon tells Jodie Comer's character to give Adam Driver's character a kiss to show the good <laughs> of the Carouge family, right? Which is, I was like, mm, I'd rather die than have to do that to somebody that I didn't know. And they, it's they zoom in on the kiss because Driver's character like puts a little too much into it, right? And like. The first time, you don't catch it, right? Because you're seeing it from Matt Damon's perspective. So it just looks like an innocent little kiss. And then you see them pull away and just diddly do. But then you see through Driver's perspective that he puts a little more into it. And Jody's character is like, oh, okay, I see you. And then from Jody's perspective, you see it. And she's like, oh, um, that was a bit much. Yeah. This movie, all in all, is just a reminder that we've never listened to women ever. <laughs> yes, indeed. Because and- c- cause here's the thing. You know, this movie is about three perspectives, three testimonies, and it still gets solved with a duel. <laughs> to the like, death. <laughs> and... and- because the duel, it's like, because the concept that the, the concept that they give is like, God will let whoever is telling the truth survive, right? That's their judicial system. It's like, if you're telling the truth, God will let you survive. And there's a part where someone is like, someone's talking to Matt Damon and he's like, well, if you lose this duel, then every, then no one will believe your wife anymore. And Matt Damon's like, then I guess it's in God's hands. I'm like, or Adam Driver's hands, because he's the one with the lance. <laughs> exactly. And the the psychologist inside of me enjoyed this movie because of the perspectives, because I know I keep going back to it. I apologize. No, but it's all good. I really li- The psychologist in me really liked it because you get to see the different interpretations of body language and like how different people can read different body language and get totally different ideas from it. Because even if they don't change the scene at all you can you still have a new interpretation of it because you have new information like that scene like that kiss is exactly right 
because for all intents and purposes, that kiss is not changed over the course of the three scenes. But because we know what Jodie Comer goes through and Adam Driver's arrogance, by the time we see that third kiss, there is so much history behind that kiss that we can accurately gauge how all three of those characters are feeling without really seeing them feel it. And like at that same party, we see a scene of Jody and Matt dancing together and Adam Driver's character interprets it as like, oh, she's looking at me because she wants me. But really, she's looking at him because she's talking shit about him and about how a smile can go a long way with being civil. Yeah. So th- this movie has a lot going for it. It has, but you know, what it has going against it, it it's, it's very intense. Yes. Um, I personally got a little bored by the time we were watching the movie for the third time. <laughs> um, Like... Uh, like they cho- they told Jodie Comer's perspective last, obviously, and it was the most important perspective because you know the movie goes out of the way to tell goes out of its way to tell you this is what happened, right? Yes, this is the truth. The so, truth. Like this is the most important part of the movie, but because we're already seeing it for the third time, I was a little checked out during some scenes, which I think is just kind of like um. Uh, uh, the nature of repetitive storytelling. So I don't know if there's something that the movie could have done to fix it other than to have just not done it, but then it would have, you know, then it's a whole different movie. I like that I'm reading the IMDb trivia for this right now. Oh, sure. And apparently it's this movie is written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck themselves. So Which is the first movie that they've written together since Goodwill Hunting. Exactly. Um but they brought on a woman, Nicole Holofcener, Holofcener? Holofcener? To help Holofcener, whatever, I don't know. I don't to know. To help them write the female perspectives of the play. So like they weren't just sitting there as two guys trying to write things from a female perspective. They actually got the input of a woman. Yes, very, which I think is very important. And it was very well written. Like, I, it's a very well written movie. I enjoyed it other than those two scenes. Yeah. Um, I want to say real quick, the um, King Charles, <laughs> I wanted to punch him. I wanted to punch him so bad. He, yeah. He's right up there, right up there with Chalamet. Um. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to give this movie a flat 7. Very good, but like needed to be reworked just a little bit. I agree. I agree that it's definitely like a a 7 and that, you know, it uh was great, but like you said, could be just as great without 5 minutes of it. Now we're going to get to the outro in a second. There is something else I want to talk about first. All right, Ridley Scott. We just watched two of your movies for this podcast. We need to, hey, Ridley, hey, Ridley, come in. Yeah, come in. Take a seat. Take his, what are you talking about, man? Hey, buddy, shut up. Hey, Ridley. Hey, man, please stop. Okay, stop it. Oh my God, Gregory. Okay, no, you saw what this man said, right? So, okay, if you are unfamiliar, Ridley Scott blamed, you know, the, the last duel bombed in the box office. It it did not make much money at all. And Ridley Scott is like, it's because of these darn millennials. They're always on their cell phones. Like, they need instant gratification for everything. It needs to be spoon-fed to them on their cell phones. Okay, old man. And I'm just like, hey, bud, dude, I'm so sick of this take. 
I don't, I'm, I'm sick of this take because he's not the first, he's like the third director this year to say something like that. And I'm like, and, and I'm just so, because listen, all right, you just heard us review both House of Gucci and The Last Duel, both of which were directed by him. And we liked both of those movies, some more than others for various reasons, but all things considered, those were not bad movies, but also not movies I would recommend to people. So Ridley, if you want more profitable movies, make movies that are that are like that I can recommend to people because hey do you know what I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna be like yeah you should watch the last duel it's two and a half hours where you watch the same scene three times over and over again and then somebody gets sexually assaulted over and over again hey I'm not gonna do that Ridley hey Ridley I'm not gonna do that though I will say that I am going to see House of Gucci for a second time in its first week of release so there's that Ridley yeah and so i just like you are capable of making good movies you make good movies but like hey buddy we're also still in a pandemic so maybe consider that next time i'm sorry i just hate when people diss on pop like it's so hashtag film bro of him and it's only white male directors that are saying stuff like this and it irks me to my core and I need it there's no way we could talk about two Ridley Scott movies where I do not just blow up at this man for having such the coldest take on the planet hey superhero movies they are stupid popcorn fun and that's okay rom-coms are stupid popcorn fun and that's okay Netflix movies they're literally all bad I have I have written a very long piece about how all Netflix movies are bad and that's okay okay <laughs> like just because media and movies are changing in front of your eyes does not mean you get to sit in the passenger seat and complain the entire time because you aren't changing with it okay people like your movies okay just a specific kind of people do and if you want to make movies for that kind of people fine that's okay but don't get mad when nobody wants to see them in a pandemic okay okay God. everybody now email that bit to ridley scott <laughs> <laughs> at gmail.com <laughs> anyway Whew, got that out of my system. Um, next month. Let's talk about next month. It's the holiday season. And obviously, we're not just going to do holiday movies. That is not our style in the slightest. So what we're doing is what I'm going to call holiday adjacent movies, where it's like how like like a holiday is happening in the background but it's not the premise of the movie right and so we've ordered this list from most like a holiday movie to least like a holiday movie <laughs> and so the four that we are doing is the holiday die hard batman returns and the first chronicles of narnia you're welcome <laughs> and i'm very excited for this i am very excited for this <laughs> um anything else i hope everybody had a wonderful thanksgiving and got to eat some very delicious food and i'm excited for our holiday month next month so very excited um but yeah that's it good job hey good job hey good job i'm proud of you Hey. Good job. I'm proud of you. I'm proud, I'm proud of, of you. you. And I'm Bug, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. 
you just listened to Small and Tall's Adam Driver Month. We'll see you next month for our holiday-adjacent movies. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. <laughs>